Welcome back to Binge Lit. I'm Grace. I'm Anya. And we are on part two of Wolf Hall. If you haven't listened to part one, you should go do that because you're going to be like lost. You're going to be like a little... What are they talking about? Babe in the woods. You're going to be like, what the heck is going on right now? (laughs) What time period are we in? Who is that again? And you know what? That'd be fair because even us going through Wolf Hall for the first time was like who is that again Listen, everyone here too many people in england have the last name starting with a c yeah and i don't appreciate a lot it. of them are named thomas i'll a give you a lot of that. them are named tom or john yeah like come on people there's a lot of them that's so true but the story of wolf hall is first and foremost about about thomas cromwell cromwell is our boy in this story he's he is our number one and we are very interested because of who we are and what we're interested in. We are very interested in the story of Anne Boleyn and the story of Henry and his wives. And we are going to get into that. But before we do that, I want to I just tell you about the divine irony, the cosmic irony of Thomas Cromwell's fucking life. Okay, because he really, if anyone went through shit and like had shit come back around to haunt him... It's this guy. And I love him so much. I really am all in on Thomas Cromwell because the thing is that like the very first time that you meet him, he wor- he's, he's a young kid. He's beat up by his father. He runs away. He joins the military. We talked about that. He comes back to England and he joins the employment of, well, first, I mean, for a long time, he's like a lawyer and a businessman and a money guy and he makes a fortune. And then he starts working for the Cardinal, Cardinal Wolsey. And we kind of talked about religion. We talked about Cardinals and how they're like, they're like the religious prince of the realm. So like there's the King and then there's the Cardinal. And those are like the two most important guys in the whole country of England. And so he starts working for Cardinal Wolsey and Cardinal Wolsey is the only other guy who comes from as low a standing as he does. Uh, Cardinal Wolsey is a butcher's son. And here's Thomas Cromwell, a blacksmith's son. And, and Woolsey really takes him under his, under his wing and is more a father to him than anyone's ever been. And he learns so much about diplomacy. He learns so much about like international politics. He learns so much about the King and he would never have gone anywhere without the Cardinal. And it's just, it's a really interesting story, but it's just, what's so crazy is about the way that things come back around in Cromwell's story and so it it doesn't really like fully like come to you it doesn't like it's like a rose that blooms and it doesn't bloom and so you make it as a third book of Hilary Mantel's trilogy about uh, Thomas Cromwell because so many things like come back around and it's like really crazy how they do so Thomas Cromwell just to give you like the spark notes if he's working for the cardinal the Cardinal and the King have a falling out because the Cardinal works for the Pope. First and foremost, the Cardinal works for the Pope. Is and this Cardinal, is Cardinal Wolsey, like, is he like the official Cardinal of the Castle or something? Because I feel like he has like definitely, I feel like he has definitely more access to the King, like to King Henry than like a normal Cardinal. Mm-hmm. Because like him and Cardinal Wolsey were like buddies. Besties. And like, well, and I was really surprised by that. Well, so yes, so Cardinal the Cardinal Wolsey has more access to the king than most cardinals would have or really anyone would have because the Cardinal Cardinal Wolsey is like the chief advisor 
to okay, the king. Okay, so he was he was Henry's like religious he's number advisor. one, more okay. than religious advisor. He is Henry's religious, political, financial. Did he have like everything a, advisor? Do you have a specific title? Or was it just Cardinal? Just Well, I think he was Lord Chancellor. He, he was, was the Lord Cardinal Chancellor. and Lady's Lord Chancellor. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, he okay. was a Chancellor. And okay. so after Cardinal... So, but Cardinal Woolsey, he's like in between a rock and a hard place, right? Because well, yeah. Because he's like in between the Pope and the King. And he's the go-between between the Pope and the King. And so he... I mean, Cardinal Woolsey really excels in international politics. And that's the only reason he got as far as he did. But he reached a point where he was just like up against a wall. I mean, his alliance aligned with the Pope. Well, there's and so the thing. If his alliance doesn't align with the Pope, you can't be a cardinal with no exactly. Pope. There's no, there's no place for you. But I think like his like religious upbringing and like everyone's like to be fair, like taught them like following the king in the path he was going was a complete separation from the church. Yeah. Oh, it what from the Catholic Church one hundred percent. I actually like. I do not like Wolseley as a character. Oh. I don't have a lot of sympathy for him. Oh. Um, because I feel like he was kind of like rude and disrespectful. Oh. To like Anne Boleyn, and I love Anne Boleyn. Oh, I but see. But I feel like what happened to him, like ultimately mm-hmm. was was pretty was pretty bad. Yeah. It was pretty abhorrent. Oh, totally. So the Cardinal's been around for a long time. He's been the king's chief confessor. Which means that, like, he knows more than anyone else in the whole world about Henry's internal life and his internal thoughts. He knows about Henry's political life and his political thoughts. He he really, he's Henry's best friend and his father figure. And at the same time, he's Thomas Cromwell's, like, best friend and father figure. And he, like, is bringing both of them up in the world at the same time. And so that kind of, like, in a way, and it is important, it makes them kind of like brothers in a way. Because the Cardinal is, like, one of the most important father figures that either of them will ever have. And the Cardinal is a really complicated person. Because, like, to Cromwell, and the way that you're introduced to Cromwell is that he is, like, an extremely loyal person. And so he owes, he in his mind, he owes everything that he has at this higher level. Like, the, with the king, with everyone, he owes it to the Cardinal. He owes his elevation and rank and in status to the Cardinal. He owes this elevated view of the world to the Cardinal. And he loves him. He really, really loves him. And he really, really wants to stand by him. He's only ever had kindness from him. He's only ever had sympathy. And so in that way, but like at the same time, the Cardinal could be a very ruthless political operator. And um, in the same way that I was saying in our last episode, the Cardinal is living in this world of men and like honestly doesn't really give a fuck about the world of women, doesn't understand it and doesn't care. And so he does treat Anne Boleyn very callously um, when in their first interactions. I mean, Anne Boleyn comes into the English court as a young woman who was raised in France. And she comes in and she's like hot shit. And other lords, young lords, are interested in her. And she kind of like forms an attachment. And Cardinal Woolsey like pulls it asunder. And he's like, you can't be together because I have plans here. I'm a political operator and I have plans for that young man. And I have plans for you. You two can't be together. And he tears them apart in not a nice way. Because no, he doesn't give a fuck. Though, and I truly believe, I know like this is revisionist history, but I truly believe that like they were in love. And the fact that like Wolseley was like, I mean, I understand why he did it. Cause it was like, they had other like political gains they were trying to make. And so they were like, and what was that guy's name? It Harry was Harry Percy. Harry Percy. Because like Harry Percy and Anne Boleyn, mm-hmm. 
I mean, I'm sorry, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought they were, like, known to be, like, oh, no, I like, do sweet on each other. They definitely did have an attachment. And it was, like, a true love attachment. It wasn't, Probably, like, yeah. orchestrated by parents. Oh, no. And it was against the parents. It was a Romeo and Juliet story. Yeah. And um, so they really did love each other. And they're, I mean, like, I know that this is... Cr- Personally, I do believe that they went pretty far in the matter. I, I'm, yeah, I mean, who's to say, but I'm sure they did. I mean, no, just like, listen, whenever we talk about this, please keep in mind, we're talking about it by our own experiences. Mm-hmm. And so if it was me, I would have totally fucked that guy. So yeah. like in my world, yes. Oh yeah. But, <laughs> but I guess like the thing, it's interesting because it's like, Wolseley is such a complicated person because like you enter at least for someone like me, you enter into the story and you love and your trust and your faith is always with Anne Boleyn because she, <laughs> she is like the woman that is wrong for us. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, for me. I mean, that's yeah. honestly how I feel. Uh-huh. And so for me watching this, like Wolseley's in- introduced, he's such a scumbag. Like he's so like, like he just is like, he seems like a ferret to me. I just, like, don't trust him. But I also think, like, the fact that he's a cardinal, I don't trust him. (laughs) I just feel like watching him, he's trying to, like, bending over backwards, like, trying to please the king as soon as it doesn't go the way he wants because he does not like Anne Boleyn. He's very anti-Boleyn. As soon as you see the Boleyns, like, plotting and, like, making their way, he's like, oh, JK, I'm going to go back to the Pope, back to Catherine, even though he was kind of like egging Henry on mm-hmm. to leave the Pope in the first place. I just feel like Wolseley for me is just such like a squirrely mm-hmm. character. I don't mm-hmm. trust him at all. I don't trust him at all. I have no sympathy to what happened to Wolseley. Interesting. Yeah. See, I guess I'm coming from this as like, like I'm sitting here and I'm like, I feel so strongly tied to Thomas Cromwell. I feel like I've lived his life with him. I'm like sitting here like, I'm like brushing my teeth being like, maybe I was Cromwell in a past life. Like I, I just like something, I, I don't know. I'm like, this is a house of cards and like Cromwell is his mentor. Cromwell, sorry, not Cromwell. Woolsey is his mentor. Woolsey raised him up. Woolsey trained him. Everything he knows, he knows from Woolsey. And Woolsey has only ever been so kind and compassionate, funny and nice, cute and old. And, I mean, and he him. is to him, to him. And I'm, and I'm not uh, to him. And what I'm saying is that like, I, like I love, and I'm very intrigued by Anne Boleyn, but like the person I am most have the strongest affinity with is Cromwell. And so I'm like, I understand. And I love, and like, I really admire how loyal Cromwell is. And I admire the loyalty that Woolsey had back. I mean, Woolsey stuck by him no matter what, no matter what his reputation was, he didn't cast him out. He raised him up. And Cromwell really took that to heart and he did that for the rest of his life. He would raise people up from nothing. Yeah, but I feel like he kind of like, I feel like he kind of like put Wolseley up to dry at the end of the day. I don't believe, I don't agree. I don't agree. I mean, other people would agree. Um, But basically what ends up happening is that like Wolsey comes in, he separates Anne and Henry Percy. And he says, this isn't the plan that I have. I have a plan and I don't want this to happen. You guys need to break up. He breaks them up. And Anne never forgives him for it and is pissed forever about it. So later when she forms her attachment with Henry and they start to have their whole little twisted love games. um, And I guess maybe that's the problem is I see it as like twisted love games. 
um, Wolsey is in between a rock and a hard place because he's like, I need the, I need to be on the side of the king. I love the king. I will not hear a word against him. But also, if if the pope doesn't have power, then I have no leg to stand on. Yeah. So he's like, he's a double agent, though, and I guess that's my point because I feel like. Mm-hmm. He like the king is like saying I want these things. Right. My interpretation of Wolsey is like he just cannot say no. Like he just can't be like give bad news. And so like the pope is like Wolsey, we need this, this and that. Mm-hmm. And Henry is like Wolsey, we need this, this and that. And they're two different things. And they're two different things and Wolsey is saying yes to both. Yeah. And so that's why I have a deep distrust of Wolsey. Mm. And I have, and because it's like I don't know where you stand. Well, I guess the thing is, in my perspective, by my perspective, Wolsey ultimately is like Henry. No, he, that ultimately is what he does, and it's his mistake. It is his mistake, and so that's why I'm just like, so you were such an asshole. You were you were trying to like prevent this for so long. Well, but that's the cosmic irony of it all. If he had just let Anne and Henry Percy Henry Percy be together. Everything would have been fine. I mean, if you just let Anne and Henry be together, everything was fine. Well, I know, but he couldn't. And the thing is, the thing is but like, but if he the would... second he does, he's now he's going to be excommunicated from the church. He's going to lose his standing with the Pope. He would have, been and ex- now he's not a cardinal anymore. Exactly, he wouldn't have been a cardinal, but he would have had a position. He would have at least have solidified his position in Henry's like church. I know, but I think that he would. I think that I think he would have lost everything. Fair. So that's what Woolsey says to the time. That's what Woolsey tells Cromwell at the time. He's like, Henry wants a new wife. He wants me to fix someone. And I didn't. And he didn't. You're right. He didn't. He failed to do it. And so as a result, um, he ends up being cast out. He loses his role as Lord Chancellor. He, Henry's like, you can't be in London anymore. Uh, the cardinal has his own lands and his own palaces as a cardinal that are like part of the Pope's dominion. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to go back to York. He's the Cardinal of York. Technically that's his title. And so he's like, I'm going to go back to York, but he's an old man at this point. He really feels the cold and he has to travel all the way up country. Traveling is not easy as a cardinal. It's like a thing where you're like supposed to travel on a donkey, which he does, but that's like a fucking terrible way to travel. And he just ends up getting sick. And while he's there, he's like up there in the north, which is like just podunk nowhere. And it sucks. And he gets sick. And finally, the king is like, I'm recalling you and we're going to have a trial, which freaks him out because he thinks that he's going to go be a prisoner in the Tower of London. And he's on his way back when he ultimately gets very sick on the road and dies. Cromwell, his most trusted advisor, his de facto son is not there when he dies. So basically like when he, he brings, he brings the Cardinal up country to settle him in his new place. And he's like, I got to go back to London. I need to get a seat. I need to, I need to get a seat in the house of commons because someone needs to speak for you in the government. Because at the time, the thing is the government, the parliament is like trying to bring, bring the Cardinal down faster. The cardinal, the the whole parliament is really like assembling behind, like totally destroying the cardinal because they're anti-pope. Yeah, they're they're not they're anti-pope, and the cardinal is the pope of England essentially, and they're like we need to get this guy out of here, and he's the only one who's speaking for him, 
And it does appear to other people who are watching this as if he's like leaving the Cardinal out in the cold. But I actually read some nonfiction books about the story of Thomas Cromwell. And the thing is that like what like is not talked about so much in Wolf Hall, but like while he has that seat in the House of Commons, he actually nixes a bunch of bills that come through that are anti-cardinal. And it is really important that he's there speaking on behalf of the cardinal. Otherwise, what happened to the cardinal would have happened faster and worse. My issue with Wolseley is like, I honestly don't know what you stand for. Because like you're yes anding this mm-hmm. like vision that Henry has. Yeah. But then when push comes to shove, you're like, I'm not going to fulfill it for you. Well, you know what? You know who you sound like. <laughs> <laughs> Anne Boleyn? No, you sound like Thomas More. Is oh. who you sound like. <laughs> but it's, I don't know. I just like, I just don't trust Wolseley because I feel like he's. Honestly, I think he was trying to play a different game and it didn't pan out for him. I think that it panned out for him for 20 years and then abruptly stopped. And I think that the factor that didn't pan out for him was how unpredictable Anne Boleyn was. I think that Anne Boleyn, I mean, I I think that it is worth enormous respect for Anne Boleyn. No one else could have operated what she operated. She did something remarkable that no one else yeah, had ever, done, I mean, I guess ever like, done in history. I mean, I guess like for her... Because I think like Wolsey's ultimate role is like the Catholic Church. And that's like the gaslighting I feel like he's giving Henry, uh-huh. which is why I don't have sympathy for him. Because okay. he's like, I will give you everything I like you want. But until it like becomes a break with the Catholic Church. Right. Then well, we're gonna have he a says, I'm, I'll give you everything you want up until a point. Yeah. And the thing is that throughout the rest of his life. Henry VIII will require impossible situations out of everyone around him. Mm. And there are some people who fail immediately. There are some people who fail in a medium term. And there are some people who make it a really long time before they fail. But ultimately, they do all fail because Henry is a person of contradictions. Henry VIII requires, requires impossible situations of everyone around him. And so it's remarkable that the Cardinal made it as long as he did. It is remarkable that that Cromwell made it as long as he did. It's remarkable that Anne made it as long as she did because he is just requiring such insane contradictions on a daily basis because he's a person in between two times. It's like this, it's like this nation going through growing pains, going from a medieval super, like basically a caste system to a modern time. And it's like modernization happening. And Henry is this person going through these like birth pangs of like bringing this country into the modern age. And they do refer to pre Henry VIII as like pre modern England and post Henry VIII as like modern England. And he is the man who brought it in to what it is. Mm -hmm. And And he's a really complicated person. And in some ways he is a monster, but in some ways he's also just like stranded on this raft of, trying to like uh, on the raft of modernization happening all around him mm-hmm. and he is trying to be with his mental health struggles with his problems trying to be good enough mm-hmm. and all of them are too and and not all of them some of them are too <laughs> yeah i guess <laughs> and i guess i see the cardinal as trying to be good enough 
and ultimately failing, but tried. Mm. But I get, I'm really giving the Cardinal the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah. And I am not giving the Cardinal the benefit of the doubt. I do not trust him. I yeah. just, and we're, I guess yeah. the thing is, we're just going to disagree. Yeah. Um, but where this goes is basically the Cardinal falls and the Cardinal ends up dying on the road on his way back to being imprisoned. And Cromwell is kind of left at a loose end because he's like, I had this master and I was loyal to him to a fault. And now, and I, I did everything I could to raise myself up in the world for the purpose of representing him. And now he's gone and I don't really know what to do. But the thing that motivates him is revenge, right? Because he's like, I know that Anne, and I know that the people around her, her brother, her allies, were responsible for bringing the Cardinal down. Because the Cardinal was like the last bastion against her. Because he was like, I cannot possibly support Anne marrying the king and the Pope at the same time. They are diametrically opposed. And... So he ends up siding with the king because with the cardinal, because what else can with, with the pope? With the pope yeah. Because what else can the cardinal do? And I guess that's why I'm sympathetic because I'm just like, well, what also because he didn't do? like Anne, though. No, he also like, personally he, never, he hated no. Anne. Well, so he, it's not like- <laughs> he didn't like Anne, and Anne didn't like him. They were diametrically opposed. Yeah. They're enemies for life. So it's not like and, he was like really and, like, like kudos to Anne. She fucking won in yeah. the battle between Cardinal Wolsey and Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn fucking beat him. She won. And she gets the king. She gets everything. She gets the cardinal's house. Yeah. She gets everything the cardinal had. All his riches. It all goes to Anne. She wins. And I, I mean, you got to respect that because no one else in history, no woman in history has ever done that before. And so she fucking wins. And then she's here and she's like, okay, but the thing is that you and I need to get married. The next person that the king assigns as his Lord Chancellor, who's basically like his chief, like his like attorney general, is um, Thomas More. And Thomas More, a died in the world Catholic, will not let it go. And Thomas More is his is her next big problem. Mm-hmm. The problem is that like Thomas More and what's his name? <laughs> Thomas Cromwell, our boy Tommy Cromwell, are like the Hamilton and Burr of this story, right? They've known each other since they were kids. They've, they have always seen each other. They've like looked each other in the eyes and they're like, we are two different people who have come from the same place in different contexts. Because like Thomas More is like a rich kid and Thomas Cromwell is like a poor kid from the same place. And they used to know each other as kids, even though Thomas More denies that he remembers it. It actually, later in the trilogy, you learn that when Thomas when Thomas Cromwell, our boy Cromwell was a kid, he used to personally wait on Thomas More and like bring him his food at night. And he would like do this whole thing where he'd come in at dinner and be like, here we are and like do this whole thing. And then, and then Moore would be like, can I give you a penny to stop doing this every day? And he'd be like, yeah, sure. I'll take your penny. And then you'd come back the next day and do it again and make this really, really loud ruckus in his rooms. And, and more would be like, I already paid you a penny. And he thought that I was like, I thought that was a one-time thing. I didn't realize you were paying me forever. And he'd make him pay him another penny (laughs) to be quiet again. And so later in life, when they meet as adults and they've gone through a whole different separate experiences Cromwell is like, do you remember me? We used to know each other when we were kids. I used to like bring you your food. And he's like, and Moore's like, I don't remember you. I have no idea what you're talking about. 
But he fucking remembers. He definitely did. <laughs> At least, I don't know. I can't remember. Was it in Wolf Hall or was it in the Tudors when he was, like, getting um, execution? There was, like, a moment and it was, like, a flashback to their childhood lives. Yeah, it's Wolf Hall. Yeah. And I was like, this was cute. Yeah. I well, Because Moore ends up being, and we talked about this in our first part of Wolf Hall, Moore ends up getting executed because essentially what happens is he's now, he's Lord Chancellor. He works for the king. He's Now he's the king's number one advisor, but he is opposed to this marriage suit between Anne Boleyn. He doesn't like Anne Boleyn either. And he's opposed to the king marrying Anne Boleyn. He's opposed to the king getting divorced. And he, and ultimately it comes down to like, will you sign this thing saying that the king is number one, not the God is number one. The king is number one. And Moore says, no, I won't do it. I will not do it. My principles are all I have in this world and I won't do it. And he ends up getting executed. And like on that day, he's like there and he's like about to go to the headsman and he like sees Cromwell, our boy, Tommy Cromwell in the crowd and they make eye contact. And it's like, yeah, we ended up in two different places because more like stood on his principles didn't say didn't say what he, he could have gotten out at any time. No one was even guarding him yeah. when he was in the tower. He he was allowed to go. He like we went to the Tower of London. Thomas More was like planting an herb garden because he was allowed to go out and like tend his garden as frequently as he wanted. No one was watching him. No one no one kept him from leaving. He wouldn't leave on principle. And that's so crazy to me. Because this was all about the principle of the thing. And he died on principle. And at the time, Cromwell was like... He died on principle, but he also, like, fucked over his entire family. Well, I know. It was shitty of him. So, like, that's the thing. Because, like, while I was watching this, I was like, okay. Like, isn't the better thing, like, as a Christian, can't you make the argument that you're making the ultimate sacrifice for your life by, like, sacrificing yourself for your family? Like, isn't that what Jesus did? So, like... But the thing (laughs) is, that would require you to think that women are important... Which none of these men but do. He, had sons. <laughs> he doesn't he care had about them. Sons. He doesn't care about them. Like his, it, but the, I think from his perspective, his sons will be fine without him. He does love his daughter. Yeah, he loves his daughter a lot. And there is like this whole like kind of like cosmic parallel because remember he's teaching his daughter his daughter Meg how to read Greek, and Cromwell's daughter like wanted to learn to read Greek, but she died yeah. before she ever could. So Cromwell, he gets married, he has kids, and then this is where we get to the part where Anya's sick, and there's sickness, a lot of sickness in Cromwell's story, because, like, at first, there's, like, this sweating sickness that goes around, and actually what I learned, and this is the the part that's very interesting, so his wife dies, and then the following year, both of his daughters die, and he's left with only the one son, and it's devastating to him. He He loved his wife, he loved his daughters, he's very, very close with both of his daughters, and he was, like, devastated. Did you know the sweating sickness? This is going to blow your mind. Do you know that the sweating sickness, they think it might have been anthrax. Stop it. Wow. Wait, what? what? That is a possibility because the sweating sickness is only a thing that happened during the Tudor times. And they had this saying, they were like, oh, marry at breakfast, dead by lunch. And, and Wait, how was anthrax just like out and about? Well, anthrax is a viral disease. It was just out and about. They think that it was just that's what 
Wait, so anthrax is it's not like, like it's not like bubonic plague. It is a viral disease, and they were I like thought anthrax was like a powder. Like well, now things. well, so now they can distill anthrax down to a powder, but it is a viral disease. It's a virus. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're wait. like and so it's like a freak thing that only happened during the Tudor times so we, have we abolished anthrax well I mean except for the powder that can be mailed in envelopes and shit yeah so was it in like the dirt it is breathed in through the airborne particles in rat shit I didn't know rat shit had anthrax Appa- well you know apparently you can get, that's where anthrax is derived. You know how like the bubonic plague came from the fleas on rats? Anthrax, the sweating sickness where you could be merry at breakfast and dead by lunch. It came from breathing in anthrax. the fumes. That's cr- There is that like weird like mouse disease now where like if you breathe in mouse poo, they always tell you when you like go to clean your cabins like during the summer. Yeah. But, like be careful not to breathe in mouse poo because you can die. Yeah. I wonder if that's like a similar thing. I don't know. I don't know if that's the same thing. I don't know. But she did both his wife and his kids, his daughters got the sweating sickness. That's crazy. Which happens just insanely fast because like, so it's not he like contagious. left and he came back later that day. It is contagious. But not from human to human. They yeah, have it to... is contagious oh, from human to human. Okay, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, it is highly contagious from human to human. Um, is anthrax? Because I thought anthrax, you just had to touch the substance. I think that it is. So if like I, if human. you inhaled anthrax. And then I got symptoms. sick, and then I, I think that if I passed the you airborne pa- virus that. to you, I think that, that is terrifying. Well, I think that's the thing with, I don't think you have to even touch it. I think that's the thing is like, if you open the envelope and then the spores are yeah, airborne, and you breathe it in. then you breathe it in. I think that it's highly contagious via air. Wow. So I think that like, I think that they were saying it's derived from airborne pathogens from rat shit. But like it's highly contagious from human to human. Oh God. Okay. So that's the that's the working theory. That's one of the theories, and there are many. But like there, that's one of the theories because it is like a freak thing in history. The sweating sickness that happened during Tudor England, and it hasn't happened again. It's gone. Bubonic plague, not gone. Still around, right? Bubonic plague, yeah. still around. If you're if you're a raccoon in the Tahoe area, <laughs> you, you should watch the fuck out. <laughs> that's so but the sweating sickness it only existed during the tudor england yeah it's it's a freak well so why hasn't it existed since if it's well well, you know then they had his other stuff because i don't listen i don't know i don't know i'm I'm not a pathogen expert it it, it is really interesting because i read a whole different book about about this um about like like a lot of superstitions that they had during tudor era and they were right they kind of caught on that airborne pathogens were a thing and so when you, they, they had, but they had this whole theory, they called it the miasma and they thought that it was like a cloud that comes down from the sky. And they thought it was like from an alignment in the stars because all of these people, everyone, especially Henry VIII were like big astrology girlies, right? Like they were all about, oh God, there was they were lot. all about the astrology. And so like Henry VIII is a cancer. If that's relevant to you, if you're interested, Henry VIII is a cancer sign, but he has his, his Venus is in Aries, which also makes sense. I don't know what Anne Boleyn is because no one wrote down her birth date. Oh, right. So no one knows. Um, but Henry VIII is a cancer with a Venus and Aries, and that does make sense. But um, they had this whole theory that, like, the stars aligned, and then, like, this, like, cloud of disease came down into the atmosphere, and they were like, yeah, 
definitely airborne. So they kind of were gathering. And this started back in the 1300s when the, when the bubonic plague had its very first thing. They were like airborne, airborne. It's a miasma. That's what it comes from. And it's just so interesting the way that it like panned out because they were like, they, they thought they had this working theory that it was like your skin breathes. So like they were like, if your skin is exposed to that infected air, then you will get sick. And they're not like 100% wrong. They just didn't have the same germ theory that we do where it's like your hand is exposed and then your hand touches your face and then it touches your mouth and then it goes in through like those, like like it goes in that way. They were just like, if the skin of your arm touched the miasma, that your skin would breathe it in and then you'd get sick. And it's just a, diff- a slightly different understanding, but it is like honestly, it's, rel- it's relatively very yeah. smart. And so their answer to that was they were like, you know what you need to do is you need to be wearing, you need to have your clothes cover your skin at all times so that your skin can't breathe it in. Their their basis for believing this is they were like, they were like, we believe the skin breathes. And then what they did to test it is they were like, here we go. We're going to take a horse. We're going to cover it in a resin. Oh, God. And to block all of its skin. Right. And then the horse dies. Yeah. And they're like, well, therefore the horse was suffocated. That's not really what happened. Technically, if you cover a horse in resin, the horse will overheat and die because it can't get any of its heat out. And so it can't sweat. And so it dies. Yeah. You can't thermoregulate. You can't thermoregulate (laughs) if you're covered in resin. So the horse died and they were like, that is our working theory for, for it being strangled. And so therefore skin breathes because that one time we covered that horse in resin and it died. Oh my God. That, and so they're like, the thing is, so what you need to do people is wear clothes that cover you completely because any skin that is exposed to the air can take in disease. That's what we think. And so you need to wear clothes covering every inch of your skin as much as possible and as many layers as you can. So that's why when you look back at history, like medieval times, Renaissance times, they're like, cover your skin with all the clothes you can because your skin can take in disease. And it doesn't make any sense, but also it does. Like, if you think about it, it does. It's a resin experience experiment wouldn't that teach you not to block your skin no they were like they were like therefore the skin breathes yeah and but so therefore if it doesn't breathe it's gonna die but you can breathe through you can if you put cloth over your mouth you can still breathe okay so like cloth is fine resin is not exactly okay <laughs> So this made sense at the time. Highly and, and so they were like, listen. And so they were like, listen, it's all miasma. It means it's an airborne cloud that comes down from the heavens, from the, the stars that are aligned. And now it's in the atmosphere. And it's because God hates us right now. And what are you doing wrong that God hates us right now? But also you need to cover your skin completely. So that's why they would do that. And then later, like in Victorian times, so like in the 1800s, much later, um they they still believed that they were like it comes in through the air and so as like as modern as modern things start to be introduced they are so nervous because that's also such a transition time like the 1500s and the 1800s are such crazy transition times and so 
they are like introducing plumbing, like internal plumbing in the 1800s. And they're like, listen, though, I'm worried about the air, though, because we put in this pipes that can bring running water. But what if the air comes in through the pipe when the water's not running and the, it's, it's, it's poisoned air? So like in sinks, brand first sinks ever in England, they would have like these like elaborate like cork stoppers because they'd be like at night when you're done running your sink, you have to put the cork stopper in because the air might belch up from the sink and it's gonna be da- it's gonna be air and they're like listen at night you need to sleep with all your windows wide open because you need to get this fresh air is best you don't want stale air that's diseased anything that's stale is diseased so you need to open the, w- the windows as wide as you can but then people would get like hypothermia because they're opening the windows super wide at night and the- especially when you're sick they're like you need to have all the fresh air so there's like there's a sick person in bed and they're like open all the windows <laughs> People dying get, of and they're dying in hypothermia. <laughs> That's so sad. And it's just it, because the thing is, it's like you're smart, but you're not. You're not. You're like just a little bit off the mark, right? Yeah. Like you're not quite there. Trial and error. Trial and error. Trial and error. We got there eventually. So anyway, you know who fucking hates sickness is Henry VIII. He fucking hates that. Bringing that back around. He is a germaphobe, and so. Cromwell, he loses his wife. He loses his daughters. It's very upsetting. He has a son. His son's terrified of him. Uh, A lot of people are terrified of him. It actually comes back around to bite him because like the king is terrified of him because he's an intimidating dude because he just like stands. He's he I mean, to me, I guess this is disputable, but to me, he stands for what he stands for. Mm. And ultimately, like with Cromwell, like money talks, like what he stands for is like results mm-hmm. he doesn't he's not an especially religious guy he doesn't especially give a fuck he just cares about money he and he is loyal he does care about like helping young men rise themselves up in the world he doesn't especially see women as non-human he does seem to think that women are human and listen because he sees women as human he has fucking game like you wouldn't believe like, every single woman in his story is, like, in love with him. Mm. Like, at one point, like, Anne Boleyn isn't really in love with him, but, like, Mary Boleyn, her sister, in love with him, tries to seduce him. Jane Bo- Jane Seymour, a little bit in love with him. Really? And the thing is, Mary Tudor, Henry's daughter, pretty majorly in love with him. Really? Ends up killing him. She's in love with him enough. Um. So, basically, like, to bring this whole story <laughs> around, um, Anne Boleyn, of course, she marries the king at the end of it all. She gets pregnant once. She has Elizabeth, who's a daughter, so he's disappointed. Yeah. She gets pregnant again. He has that terrible accident when he's jousting, which knocks him out for three hours. He's unconscious. Maybe he has brain damage. Maybe he doesn't. Who knows? And everyone's like, oh, my God, he's dead. He's dead. He fell off his horse. He's dead. And so all these people start scrambling to be like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. And so some people tell Anne she collapses in shock because everything her wagon is hitched to his. And Cromwell is the one who comes in. He's like, is he dead, though? And like pounds him on the chest and is like, wake up, wake up, wake up. And finally he does wake up. And he's actually alive. And he only did that because Thomas Cromwell like fucking made him wake up. Everyone else was just wet- 
willing to let him die. Yeah. Anne Boleyn's people remember that. And they hate him for it. But Mary remembers that. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of in love with him for it. And so later, after Anne Boleyn dies, Mary remembers it. And there's like this whole rumor going around that like Thomas Cromwell is trying to marry Mary Tudor. Which is insane, which is an insane rumor. And he's like, I never said that. I never wanted that. I never tried for that. And I don't even know where that came from. Who said that? And it kind of like the origin of the rumor is that like Mary Tudor's like servants kind of like registered that she has a crush on him. And like she she didn't really like stop it. Like if people were like, oh, you're engaged to Thomas Cromwell, huh? And she's like, not no. Like, she's, like, a little bit, like, she has a crush on him. And I guess it makes sense because it's, like, no one else has ever been nice to her ever in her life. Mm. No one else has ever looked out for her. Yeah. No one else has ever been her advisor that, like, doesn't care about the Pope, just cares about her. Everyone else in Mary's life cares about the Pope first and then her. Yeah. Even her own mother. So anyway, so now uh, Henry's passed out. Cromwell wakes him up. But in that time, Anne, like, receives a shock of her life. And she actually, like, a few days later, ends up going through a miscarriage, which is arguably because of the shock of thinking that he died there on that field. And she loses the second child. They don't know if it's a boy or girl, but it's kind of rumored to be the boy. And they're like, oh, my God, she lost the second baby. She lost the baby. Very upsetting. So in the Tudors, they had a scene when she lost that baby. Uh-huh. Where, like, the fetus, because, like, there was, like, at least my understanding is, like, she lost it at a time that was late enough that you could, like, see the gender of the fetus. And mm-hmm. so it was, like, reported to be a boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she went, when it was, like, the scene when she just had the miscarriage, she was, like, shoving the fetus, like, trying to shove the fetus, like, back into herself. Oh, God. Because she was, like, I can't lose this baby. Like, I need this son. Like, because she was, like, this is the only way that I'm going to be able to survive as a queen. Oh, God. Like, she, like, already saw, like, the writing on the wall. Yeah. And I thought just that was such a powerful scene. Yeah. But, yeah, okay, now I'm done with the Tudors. Oh, no. Well, I didn't, yeah. So there are, I think that all told, um, Anne did have, like, four, she had three miscarriages. She had one full pregnancy that came to term and then three miscarriages after that. And one of them was far enough along when she miscarried that they could tell the gender of the baby and it was a boy. The other two were early, were so early that you couldn't tell the gender of the baby. Um, the last one happened. So the last one happened, and, and it's actually like crazy the timeline of like the boom, boom, boom of all the way that these things happened. And like in the book, like um, the author, like or Cromwell, like points it out because he's like seven years to get her there, three years to reign, three weeks to bring her down, and three heartbeats to die, basically. So she takes seven years of courting the king and she's only married to him for three years, in which time she has three, four pregnancies, three miscarriages. And she's trying so fucking hard. And like retroactively scientists now are like, maybe she had like the, I don't know what you call this, this like thing where you're like allergic to the babies because of the blood type or whatever. Oh yeah. Or she like had the one and then the other one. It's like a positive and a negative Yeah, it's like a blood type thing. And so she might have always miscarried. Like, she might have had, like, a, a syndrome where she, like, always miscarried. Um, and it's just, like, such a fucking cosmic irony because she was only there because she's supposed to be from, like, a fertile family to, like, have kids. And the Boleyns are, like, they're, like, the De Guises. They're, like, social climbers. And, like, her only thing is that she can have boys because, like, she didn't have children. Yeah. And then she can't even fucking do that. 
so she only rules for three years she's only queen for three years and that's why there's like there's like a movie that's like Anne of a thousand days she's really only queen for like a thousand days and then she's only on court for like three weeks it takes only like three weeks to bring her down and she she only starts going to court like four months after Catherine dies so like the majority the vast majority of her relationship with Henry Catherine is still alive and like living in some castle like out in the middle of nowhere like and finally she dies and there's like this whole rumor that that Anne like wore yellow to the funeral which may or may not have been true but actually like Cromwell like brings up this point where he's like yellow was really fashionable at the time well what I heard (laughs) yeah I also watched that um there's like a docuseries on Netflix and they were saying saying that in Spain Mm -hmm. yellow was actually the color of death yeah. Like in Spain, traditionally, when someone dies, you do wear yellow. Right. And so the argument they, those scholars were making is that Anne did wear yellow, but it was like to... To mourn her. To mourn her. But all, we know it was not. No, it like was she not. she fucking hated Catherine. No, yeah. she, she fucking hated Catherine. She was rejoicing. She was so happy. She was celebrating when Catherine died because she's like, finally, our relationship is legitimate. And then she has an, another miscarriage very shortly after Catherine dies. And she's like, you know what? It's okay, though, because now any children we have now, they are going to be legitimate because now that your wife is dead, any new children we have are going to be had after your wife's died, which means that no one can dispute it. But at that point, Henry is like falling out of love with her and he's not even into her, into her anymore. He's so fucking over her. And so he's like coming to Cromwell, like secretly being like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not into her. And like these words are ringing in Cromwell's head that he remembers the Cardinal saying where he's like, the King wants a new wife, fix her one. I didn't. And I'm dead. And so Cromwell is like, fuck, I need to like, the King wants a new wife. I need to like find one for her. So he ends up like planning the summer progress because at the time the King is complicated, but like the Kings of England at this time didn't have like a main palace where they always lived. They were like itinerant. So they're always on the road like going between different people's houses. And so he's like, okay, we got to plan this travel. You know what? I guess while we're going, I kind of like this Jane Seymour girl. I think personally, I think she's cute. Cromwell says, let's go to Wolf Hall where she lives and we'll stay there. And that's where the first book ends. You've listened to this whole fucking thing. And we finally got to the first book done now. And there's a whole fucking second book. <laughs> what happens after that <laughs> and all the rest of the series but basically they go to wolf hall and henry falls in love with jane seymour now totally different girl very different than anne she's like so quiet very meek very literal like anytime anyone does like a figure of speech she's like what the fuck are you talking about and she's like what and she really can't understand a lot of things she's fine she's cute enough She's definitely innocent. She's definitely a virgin. And so far, that's been Henry's problem is he keeps these two women that he's married before, twice the bridegroom, never the husband. Both of them, he's like basically saying they were not legitimate relationships because previously those two women had had sexual relations with someone else. But this new girl, Jane, she's 100p a virgin, 1000% a virgin. I know it for sure. Yeah. And this is like my issue with Henry because I feel like this is like his reason for getting divorced time and time after again like he always just was like oh the woman wasn't a virgin yeah even though with Amelyn, like this was her game so like yeah. in the tutors when we like see jane seymour being introduced like her dad and brother are like listen 
you cannot give yourself up to the king. Like, the only way for you to successfully make this happen is to shut it down. Right. Do not let him have sex with you. And that is, like, the game plan that, like, everyone was, like, assuming Anne Boleyn was working off of um, when she first seduced him. However, in the Tudors, like, they do kind of, like, they do make assumptions that she was, like, at least doing, like, fellatio or something before they, like, got married. Well, she, I think she definitely was. Yeah. yeah. And I think they were, like, ha- like there's, like, a scene in the Tudors where they're, like, actively, like, having sex. And she was, like, you cannot come into me until... Like you can oh. not, yeah. She was like, "You cannot come in." Oh, me. you can have. We can have vaginal sex. They're having can't. penetrative sex, and he was about to come, and she was like, "No." Oh well, that's yeah. different. That's different. Yeah, and that is like a different because, like, for me, my knowledge is like Anne was like the reason why she was successful is because she's like, "I'm going to be a virgin until you marry me," because that's the only yeah. thing that's going to interest you. So it's interesting seeing like that same thing for like Jane Seymour because I feel like it's like presented as like a new ideal and she's so like fresh and like evermore and i'm like well this was anne boleyn it's just a different lens you guys yeah. are using to look at these women well, like yeah. this is like complete fucking bullshit well, like yeah. she is literally using anne boleyn's playbook yeah the entire way through like we've seen this before she is just like it's like damned if you do damned if you don't right like well, you're yeah. either like a vixen or a saint right. and i think that's it's just so frustrating yeah. It's so frustrating to me. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it is straight out of the Anne Boleyn playbook, but because Jane is, I mean, I, I, there are some people who think that, like, Jane was genuinely just, like, an innocent, like, I do think she was. In the woods. But, but there's other people who think dumb. that she's, like, yeah, but she, she seems like a dummy. I gotta be honest. She seems like a little bit of a dummy. Like. She just seems like, she was, like, one of those girls. Because, like, even as you said, like, Anne Boleyn. Like, she wasn't, like, a known beauty, right? And so she had to be smart. Like, she had, like, her only way of survival was using her brain. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing is, yeah, like, the the thing that was always sexy about Anne Boleyn was, like, her mind. Like, Anne was a very intelligent person. Like, no one can fight you on that. Like, she was a very intelligent person. She was very cunning. And she would have, like, these intelligent conversations with Henry and, like, really engage his mind. I mean, she had to do that because she wasn't having sex with him for seven years. Yeah. And I really don't think that she did. Like, I don't like I I think that they I think she was doing fellatio. I think that there may have even been like some anal. But I <gasps> don't think that she was like having full on sex with him. So he ends up marrying Jane and Jane does have a baby boy, has, have a baby boy that she carries to term and who is healthy and who lives. But there's a lot of stories about like, oh, but Jane was like weak or she was sickly, which is straight up not true. And in some ways, the cosmic irony of Jane is that she was killed because of his obsessive need to have, like, doctors involved. I don't know if you've ever heard this theory, but, like, the thing is that, like, at the time, a lot of birds were, like, carried out by midwives with no male doctors pregnant. Pregnant. Sorry. Present. What a, present. <laughs> no <laughs> male doctors were pregnant I in the really Middle Ages. I really not. <laughs> but no male doctors around. It's just, they're like, this is a women's thing. We got to leave them alone. We don't know what's going on with them over there. And so most of the time, women would just have it with other, have the baby with other women around and they would have their own methods and their own things going on. And no doctors are around because the doctors are like, childbirth, whole other deal. Don't know about that. I'm staying away from that. Um, But because Henry, by the time he gets to Jane, is now his third wife, 
he is so obsessive. He's like, I got to get the doctors in there. And the doctors like impede the normal standard practice. And so the baby is born healthy. And Jane at the time is healthy. Everyone's like, oh, she's bright eyed. She's doing fine. But something goes awry with the post birth system. And some people think that like it was because she had some placenta left that the midwives were not able to like extricate the way they normally do. Some people think that it's because the male doctors were there. They didn't do the normal cleanliness that they normally do. Some like, because she might've like gotten like a tear and normally they would fix it. But because the male doctors are there, they want to expose her private areas to the room, the way that it would take to clean it. I don't, there's like some different theories, but basically the work, the theory is that if those male doctors had not been present, because Henry was so fucking stressed about this, then she would have lived. She wasn't weak. She got like sepsis because of like a post-birth infection. So once again, a wife killed by Henry for another reason. So he kills Anne Boleyn. And we didn't even fucking talk about the drama that goes down because basically he just like turns to Cromwell and he's like, I don't, I've heard some rumors about her. I don't like her anymore. I don't really want to be married to her anymore. And Cromwell well, basically takes that as an order and like carries it out. Yeah. I was just going to say it was like, it was like a witch finding mission. Yeah. Essentially he was like, oh yeah, I hear that she's like having sex with like other men and there's like an adultery or sorry, an adultery component of this. And he was like, I also hear that she might be a witch. And so they were like literally just like grasping at straws. Yeah. And the whole witch, it's really sad. At least my understanding of the witch part of it comes because, like, like, when she had their miscarriage and gave birth to the fetus, it was, like, deformed. So he saw that, like, disfigured fetus and was like, she's a witch. Oh. So my understanding is that, like, witch, the witchcraft element is a, is a later addition to her oh, actual charges. Because at the time, and not that much later, witchcraft would become illegal. But at the time, witchcraft was not illegal. That wasn't, like, a like there were accusations of, like, she practiced witchcraft upon me, but it wasn't against the law. King James, like, two generations later, would be obsessed with witchcraft and make it highly illegal. And, like, even during Elizabeth's time... It would become like a very, very illegal offense to like be practicing witchcraft. Uh, my understanding is that like he's like the baby was deformed, and I think the baby is deformed because it's like against God. And the reason I think it's against God is because I think that you weren't a virgin, and I think that it's also possible that you're sleeping with your brother, and I think it's also possible that you're sleeping with all my best friends, my gentlemen of the privy chamber, my the the bed chamber, not the privy chamber, because that would have been Cromwell. Um, but I'm you're sleeping with all my gentlemen of the bed chamber. And that was, like, the charge that basically was, like, brought against her was, like, you've been, like, everyone's saying, like, she's sleeping with other men because she's trying really hard to get pregnant. And she thinks that Henry is, like, sexually impotent. And that's yeah. also where, like, maybe the erectile dysfunction starts to come in. And, like, it, like do we know if that's true? But Like, if she was sleeping around? I feel like the majority of the things I've seen has, like, portrayed Anne Boleyn that she wasn't having an affair. There's just this one movie, like, a movie where, like, Anne Boleyn did have sex with her brother. Yeah. Because I know that that was, like, but, like the incest argument was huge. Like, that was, right. like, a legitimate argument to get her, like, beheaded. Oh, that was, like, a major linchpin of the argument. Yeah, but I've never right. seen that, like, validated. So I do have an answer for this. And because I read a whole other book, about Anne and the charges that were brought against Anne. 
and it went through every single charge that was brought against her and talked about it. So the thing is, she was accused of having sex with her brother. She was accused of having sex with like three other gentlemen. She was accused of having sex with the musician. The thing is, the trial that took place against Anne Boleyn and those other men that were involved is not anything even remotely near what we would consider like a legal trial. Well, none days. of these were, no, let's be honest. No, but like their rules again around trials were so different. So like at the time when you were like going to go into court, it was not allowed for any of the defendants to even hear the charges that were against them. They were not allowed to know until they get to the courtroom what they're even being charged with, which is super different than today. Because now, like now when you are arrested, you have a right to know what you're being charged of. That's like a, a human right that's afforded you as an American. I feel like um, if you... Or like from our generation and don't really understand this. Yeah. I think you need to go watch the Tudor episode where like where Thomas More is getting like prosecuted because mm. like Thomas More is like making very good arguments for himself. And he's like, no, I'm actually not questioning. Yeah. I'm not doubting the king. Like these are just like my holdouts. And like the people that are trying him, it honestly is like you're like, oh, yeah, this is just like he had no help in hell. Yeah. Like they're they're just like pushing these people through because it's like he is making better arguments right. than the prosecutors and you're just like what the fuck yeah it's like yeah well that's the thing is that like definitely during like wolf hall and during different things it's like the like once you're arrested it's all over oh, because yeah. once Courts you go to court the trial the court fucking lies like there's no way you get out of that and that also happened with Anne and with her brother george they both had very strong arguments when they were presented with the charges they could account for all everything that they were accused of with logical arguments against it. But by that point, it's a foregone conclusion. Like Cromwell, he stacked the jury. It was a 25 person jury and they were all friends of his or people who were looking to gain something from him. And he stacked it like he really did rig that jury. And he got all of the depositions in closed rooms with threats of like harm they were not like some of them were freely given. Some of them were given like were not fair depositions. And I mean, the, the only one against George Bolin, no one else accused George except for his wife who fucking hated him. And um, basically like there what it boiled down to. And this is so interesting. So there's an entire book called The Lady in the Tower about what she was accused of. And she was accused for adu of adultery on 21 different dates that Cromwell had put together. Cromwell and his team. 21 different dates. But the thing is, since then, and since then, now historians have gone back and like forensically looked at each and every single one of those dates and assessed whether or not adultery took place. Out of those 21 dates, 18 of them are physically impossible. Historians now say because Anne or her supposed lover were not in the location that was alleged on that day. So they're like on this date, she had an affair with so-and-so in this castle and on that date, she had an affair with that other guy in this other castle. And on this date, she had an affair with this guy in this castle. And they took all those dates, all 21 alleged adultery dates, and they looked at them and they were like, either I, Anne wasn't there or the other one wasn't there. On the remaining three dates, all but one of them, so the two other dates, Anne was either pregnant or still in confinement following giving birth. So that's this another thing at the time. Once you're pregnant, once you're like confirmed to be carrying a baby, sex is a gigantic no-no. You're not allowed to have sex once you're pregnant because they're like, oh, you're like risking the baby. You're like, open it up. It's going to get stuff up in there. Like you're not allowed to have sex. 
and post confinement. I mean, who wants to have sex post childbirth? Yeah, I don't. I guess my point is like, I think this is a whole. So there's only one date. This is just bullshit. There's only one date in which the alleged adultery could have taken place, and it's like, well, so I. Just, I mean, it is bullshit. It was a hundred percent bullshit. She did not. Ha- she did not commit adultery. She fucking knows how she got here. She would not jeopardize it like that. But I think the thing is that, like, she's living in a society that really does not value women's lives, women's stories, women's perspectives. She's living in a time when she's just a tool for people to get where they want to go. And she was a tool for Henry and she did beguile him. She did maybe not beguile is not the right word, but she did charm him. He was very interested in her. But now she's outlived in his perspective, outlived her usefulness. And women are not fully people in these people's eyes, these men's eyes. She's just a tool to get where he wants to go. And now that it's apparent that she's not going to get him where he wants to go, she's outlived her usefulness. And he doesn't give a fuck about her life. And no one else does either. And so might as well just kill her. And that's where it is. And that's why it's, it's just insane. From a modern perspective, to look back on that and to see the way that they are thinking about that is really, really hard to understand. But that is what happened. I mean, honestly, no one else has ever had ever done what Anne Boleyn did. And since then, no one ever has. She completely un- upended the entire country, upended all religion in that country to get herself there. I mean, created a completely new religion. I mean, talk about a force of will. Like, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. She it's like, just insane and it's so sad because it's like honestly Henry just got bored. He yeah. got bored and a patient. It was just a sex thing. And it was just a child. Yeah. And, and it's didn't just really see didn't see her as fully human, just saw her as a sex thing. Yeah. And it's just really sad to see all that she was, all that she could have done, all that she could have been boiled down to just a sex thing. Yeah. And I guess that that's why, though, it's like Anne got the final laugh, though, because her daughter, after all that, after all fucking that, she had that one daughter and her daughter goes on to be the one who's the most important one out of all of them. Yeah. At the end of it all, Anne got the last laugh. And her daughter didn't wasn't a sex thing and refused to be a sex thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a lot more to say. But whatever now. Don't go in more about Crawley's life after. Don't give a fuck anymore. Don't give a fuck about Crawley. Or sorry, not Cromwell. Well, I mean, he went on to live a very interesting life, and he has his own. The thing is, there are so many cosmic ironies. So he just has his own cosmic irony, which is that, like, when he was working for the Cardinal, him and Stephen Gardner work together Stephen Gardner Gardner. and if you watch the show Wolf Hall you'll see Stephen Gardner and you know who he is he's Sherlock Holmes's brother from the show Sherlock oh yeah yeah that's his brother I don't remember what the brother's name is not Mordecai it's something like that though (laughs) it's like something like (laughs) that I'm saying Mordecai Rich the thing is so he has like you know how I told you he and he and Moore are like Hamilton and Burr he and Gardner are also like Hamilton and Burr and they've always hated each other. They've always fought with each other. They never liked each other. And finally, right in this like one pivotal moment, like right at the end of his life, 
near the end of his life, and that's giving it away. But like Cromwell gets, he has this like Italian fever, and I don't know what the fuck Italian it is. fever. He keeps, he gets <laughs> sick sometimes. He gets. Wait, is it called the Italian well, he, fever? He says it's my Italian fever that I got. Is it a hot Italian he's sleeping with? No, what I don't know it? what the fuck it is. He, he he like sometimes he gets like intensely sick, and no one else gets sick, just him. And it's and called the Italian well, fever. He says it's a fever I picked up in Italy, and everyone's like, "All right, yeah, it makes sense." <laughs> so he gets it first. He gets it first after Thomas More dies because it, that really affects him when More dies because More is like this person. He's known since childhood, and they're like Hamilton and Burr, and and he was ultimately the one. Honestly, that Thomas Burr More died on his watch. You know. Yeah, just called him Thomas Burr. Thomas, Thomas Moore dying was pretty. That I cried. Yeah, I, that was sad. It was sad because I was like, "Listen, like I was like Henry, you don't have to do this." Like well, I guess Henry doesn't have to do any of fucking. I know, but this. I guess I just feel like that was like this the was beginning. All unprovoked. I know, but I feel like that when he killed Moore was really like. I honestly believe like that was the shift. No, that was like out of pocket. Because that was this too is much. your best friend. Yeah, this is like, the guy you, who you loves viewed you. this man as your father. Right. Like you have so much respect for him, and you're turning around and killing him just because he said he won't. Like he doesn't argue your marriage. He doesn't argue your like succession. It's just the god piece. Right. And it's just so crazy. It is crazy. It is. It, it no, a, it's so. No, you're a, right. That I think is a. Turning it is point. a turning point. It is a huge turning point for Henry to have executed more, and he did it for Anne, and then to have Anne executed is another huge turning point for him. And I mean, on but then like the third turning point is is killing Cromwell. So like later on, you know, like Jane dies in childbirth. Because of all those bullshit reasons. And then he, Henry's like single for a while. And he's like, I need to marry someone. And this whole standoff with like the Pope and the Emperor and the King of France has meant that like the Pope, the Emperor and the King of France are all besties now. And Henry's like out in the cold. And he's, they're all turned on him with a gun pointed at him. And he's like, well, fuck. Well, fuck. I'm the, you guys are all best friends over there and I'm all by myself. And you could invade me at any time and I would fucking lose. And so he's like, you know what? I need to ally myself with Germany. So, and he is, his idea is not even Cromwell's idea, but Cromwell's like, okay, yeah, I'll help you. So Cromwell sets up this marriage with this German princess who no one's ever seen. She wears a veil everywhere she goes. No one's ever seen her. And he's like, you know what? I'm into her. And so they send Hans Holbein, who's their buddy. And he does a painting, but the thing is, it's a nice painting and it only shows the front of her face and doesn't show for the side. And she, and she gets there and there's actually nothing wrong with her she actually looks fine it's just that henry's not into her and she probably has like a sexually like different thing going on than henry's into because henry likes to like be like this like chivalrous man who's like corrupting this innocent lady that's like his like thing that he's into which is gross and weird but his thing and she i think that she's like a dominant person like i think that she wants to like be the more dominant one in the relationship and that like makes his dick shrivel up and so he can't get it up with her because i think that she's like she's like a big sister type and she's like well like no like no and so he can't get it up he can't have sex with her he tries he can't and he needs someone to blame he can't blame himself because he's a narcissist he can't blame anyone else 
because no one else is at fault. And then finally, it's just like, well, listen, the king wants a new wants a new wife. Fix him one. And Cromwell, right at that moment, gets his fucking Italian fever back and he's in bed for like three months. Like he's like so, so sick. He's like near death. He's like drawing up wills like his son is there. He's like, this is the end. He's like, when I die, burn my papers because there's like shit in there about like Lutheranism and everyone fucking hates (laughs) Lutheranism at the time. (laughs) And um, he does pull through it and he comes out the other side. But in that time. His enemies, Stephen Gardiner, has been allowed to like form some new strategies that he hasn't been part of. And he they like like his enemies have amassed. And basically, like it turns out that Risley, call me Risley, who's been saying he worked for our boy Tommy Cromwell this whole time, has actually been spying on him and has been reporting a bunch of stuff back to Stephen Gardiner. And so basically, like, Thomas Cromwell thought that he was, like, helping Risley and raising him up in the world. And, like, you're supposed to love Risley. And he betrays him to Stephen Gardner, who uses it against him and, like, brings him down. And and it's just, like, at a time, like, Henry is going through, like, what Cromwell describes as just, like, a fit of murder. And he just, like, wants to kill someone because he's unhappy with his current situation. And... It's just like so sudden and Cromwell is just like blindsided by it, especially because just three months before he had finally made an earldom, which honestly, like, it's just like the higher you rise, the harder you fall. So he had always just he's he's never been like a nobleman before, but he finally became like Earl of Essex. Like. Like, so now he's not Thomas Cromwell anymore. He's like Thomas Essex and he changes even the way he thinks about himself. And so instead of being like he Cromwell, he's like, oh, I'm Essex now. But everyone fucking hates that. They can't stand to see him rise like that because they feel like it's an affront to them and it's an insult to them that they've that he's up there and among their ranks now. He's a lord now and they fucking hate it. So they bring him down. Stephen Gardner and the Duke of Norfolk bring him down together. And it's just like a cosmic irony. It's so it's like so disheartening. And in order to save themselves, Um, his son Gregory, Rafe, and Richard, all three, have to, like, repudiate him publicly and be like, I don't believe in him. He committed, like, treason, and he committed heresy, and I'm not part of that. And so they all had to, like, leave him, and he was like, don't, like, don't hold on to me, go survive, like, take care of yourselves. He has his, like, his main, like, boy Christoph who like serves him and he's like Christoph just like just leave me just like don't don't try to be loyal to me just like protect yourself and there's other people like Cranmer who just protect themselves and they're like I can't believe you would do that and it's like listen I'm going down you don't have to go down with this ship Christoph does go down with the ship right at the end but um like all along he and Stephen Gardner used to both work for the cardinal together they were like that and they always didn't get along and finally Gardner brought him down. Right. It's just like this pivotal moment. And it's just, it's a really crazy story because then it's really interesting to watch what happens after Cromwell is gone because he dies. He does end up getting beheaded. The, the King does not take away his earldom. 
and still gives him a gentleman's death. So he's beheaded instead of burned or drawn and quartered. He does get the gentleman's death. Um, but Gregory, and, and then later he's like, oh, I regret it so much. And he's so sorry. Just the way he was sorry about more, just the way he was sorry about the Cardinal. He's like, whoops, I fucked up. He doesn't say it fucked up. He's just like, whoops, I miss him so much. Here, take your titles back. So he gives all the titles back to Gregory. So Gregory dies a, a, like a, a man, like a, a lord. And, um, Rafe Sadler, who's like his main, his, like, his ward, goes on to become one of the most important diplomats in English history. He is the ambassador of Scotland. Mary Queen of Scots is born and he goes to inspect Mary Queen of Scots as a baby and like puts him over his knee and like smacks her butt. <laughs> um, he like he when he dies, Rafe Sadler is acknowledged as the richest commoner in, in England. Uh, Rafe Sadler goes on to he beha- he's one of the main conspiracists with the Lady Jane Grey, who is like the seven days queen. He goes on to become one of the most important advisors to Queen Elizabeth. And he dies in like the age of 80, a very, very rich and successful man. Richard Cromwell, his nephew, is the great grandfather of Oliver Cromwell, who goes on to overthrow the fucking king and be the Lord Protector of England. And I just thought that was so crazy because I've always thought that there was no relationship. There's no relation between Thomas Cromwell and Oliver Cromwell. But I've been like, that's not, that can't be true. They have to be related and they are. He raised Richard Cromwell and then Richard Cromwell's grandson goes on to be Oliver Cromwell who overthrows Charles II. That's so insane. I know. The Cromwells. So Cromwells, what a dynasty. When you really think about it, it's just like picture like... Peaky Blinders being the advisor to the president, you know, (laughs) picture like the Godfather being the advisor to the president and how far he would go in that situation. He really made it so far and then he fell so hard. Yeah. Um, it's just a fascinating story and I love him so much and I wish we could invite him to dinner and talk to him. See, that's someone I'm not interested in talking to. You're not interested in talking <laughs> not, to Thomas Cromwell? Honestly, not. I'm I feel like so interested. Others. I mean, like, sure, I'd be interested in talking to him, but I feel like there's other people I want to talk to for first. Like who? Oh my God, so many other people. Like uh-huh. Catherine de Medici, honestly, oh, well, Anne okay. Boleyn. Okay. Um, okay. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I love Anne. I mean, I guess like I want like I I want to meet Anne, but. I want to meet Thomas Cromwell. Well, I just want to know what he would say. He's like an unknowable person. I'm so curious about him. And what he would have to say. Mm-hmm. I think he's a genius. He's a Renaissance man. He changed England forever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like this whole idea, like the reason that the English monarchy stands as it does today is because it's separated from the Pope. Yeah. And who separated from it, separated it from the Pope? Thomas Cromwell. Yeah. I guess I just view Thomas Cromwell as just kind of like a politician. So he was told he had to do these things and then like did it. I'm oh. like, I'm very curious to know what his actual feelings are. I don't think he was told he had to do it. I think that he was like, I see an opportunity and I'm going to do it. Like I see the king needs an out and I'm going to, I'm going to make it happen. 
to like benefit himself to like rise. Well, up. benefit himself yeah. and also the king and the like change see, saw a way the world could be changed and changed it mm, for the better. You're saying I don't know. You're, for saying, the, you're thinking you're saying he's ultimately like a good person. I mean, I guess I don't know for the better. I'm just saying that he changed the world. Yeah, he approached it from a creative way to see opportunities where other people didn't mm-hmm. and invented new laws new money things new relationships where they weren't there before and made it happen yeah and like it's not to say that Anne didn't because i do think that Anne Boleyn did that too and they made each other and if she if the world had been a different way she would have gone she wouldn't have been di- she wouldn't have been killed but the world was just was not set up for women and it was set up for men. And I think that that's like the pivotal difference between the two of them. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just prefer, I think Anne Boleyn has a lot more going for her. I feel like, honestly, I feel like Cromley like got, like, I feel like I'm not trying to like discount what he's done because I think what he's done and what he's achieved is impressive uh-huh. but I think also it's like there was a time and a place and part of it is like he wasn't he wasn't like I don't think he had like scruples he was standing beside like behind like I think if he was told to do something it would change because he needed to get it done for the king yeah and I'm not saying that's bad yeah I just think that's like a difference between like i mean i don't think that Anne had scruples either though oh that's not what i'm saying i mean i feel like Anne is just like in it for herself like she just wants to live yeah i feel like everyone is just like they're like we're attached to this like king yeah and we just like need to do what we gotta do to survive i just feel like cromwell was like in a different position Mm-hmm. where he had more influence over the kin king than an Anne Boleyn did and I feel like he could have been like a like a better counsel I feel like the king could have had better counsel I feel like there was there was a lack in kind of like controlling the king yeah I mean I see what you're saying I guess I would say that like almost always Cromwell would advise against violence and would advise against war. And so, I mean, the reason that the king didn't go to war more, I mean, as soon as Cromwell's dead, Henry goes to war. Um, I do think that like, he was opposed to violence. He was opposed to war. He was, he was in favor of like patience. Like, I think he was a really patient person. And I mean, I think the thing is that while Anne was alive, Anne had more control of Henry than Cromwell did. Oh, I think so too. Um, I think Cromwell didn't really get. Well, actually, I don't know about that. Do you think he had more power of, over Anne when Anne was alive? Anne had more power over Henry during her heyday than Cromwell did. During her heyday. Yeah. Yeah. Because I would say, like, there was definitely. I would say, like, after they got married, there was a significant turning point i feel like once she got got well past their like honeymoon phase it was all done yeah once they got married they did have a honeymoon phase and during that honeymoon phase that's her heyday like post-marriage during the honeymoon phase while she's pregnant with the first kid 
no one has more power in the whole world than Anne Boleyn. But, and so like I, during her heyday, she had more power over the king and more power over the world than Cromwell ever did, even during like, his heyday. Yeah, but I feel like that just makes sense, right? Because she's like carrying the potential heir. Well, yeah, but like not other queens had more power. I think that Anne Boleyn did have mm. a significant amount of power. It's just, she got got. Yeah. And, the, and she got got because she just couldn't carry that child to term. And it's not her fault that she couldn't. But I, I mean, the thing is that everyone knew, everyone knew that like the king is very malleable. So like, even when, even during Catherine, even during um, Anne Boleyn's heyday, Catherine, his, what, his first wife is over here being like, listen, if I could just get two weeks alone with him, I could turn him around. Like, I don't think that Anne is more compelling than me. She just gets more time with him. If he would ever come see me, I could turn into my cause. And that's Cromwell sees it too. Like during pivotal times, we'd be like, don't let anyone come visit the king because he's going to be swayed by whoever talked to him last. He's very swayable. And so don't, don't let anyone talk to him because I want him to keep him in one point of view. And so it was just like, whoever, whoever is the last person, like you're only as good as the last person who talked to the king. Yeah. And it's just really unfortunate because everyone who fell down, it was just like someone else talked to him. And then they weren't allowed to see the king ever again. And so there's like, like he, he rode away from Catherine, never saw her again. And then she died. He rode away from Anne, never saw her again. And then she died. He rode away from Thomas More, never saw him again. And then he died. He rode away from Cromwell, never saw him again. And then he died. If you ever saw him again, he changed his mind. Yeah. He's a very malleable person. And he has some problems, emotional problems. So this is a whole story about like people who built their house of cards on Henry's house of cards. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then some, and it's just, it's just fascinating. It's just such a clusterfuck. It really is. It really is. Well, I hope that you'll take from this to go listen to Wolf Hall. Wolf Hall on audio. You can listen to it on audio. The author endorses. Or read the book and definitely watch the show, I think. Yes. And maybe watch the tutors if you're so inclined. Right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Thank you for listening. I hope that this has helped you understand the world of Tudor England in the court of King Henry VIII. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but thank you for listening. We cover lots of book to screen adaptations. So you can follow us on Spotify, on Apple, on Amazon, all the podcast places. And you can follow us on Instagram at BingeLitPodcast. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.